Welcome to another episode of Leader Generation by Tenlo Radio, a show where we help B2B and CPG marketers unlock the power of digital marketing to fuel growth and creativity in their organizations. Our host is Tessa Berg, the VP of UX and Technology Strategy at Tenlo. Hello, welcome to another episode of Leader Generation, brought to you by Tenlo Radio. I'm your host, Tessa Berg. This is the second part of our conversation with Scott Brinker. Scott is the VP of Platforms and Ecosystems at HubSpot, the chair for the MarTech Conference, and the editor at ChiefMarTech.com. You can find him at ChiefMarTech, ChiefMarTech is M-A-R-T-E-C.com, or follow him on Twitter. Stay tuned after this conversation to hear how you can apply an easy process to select the right platforms and networks to help facilitate lead generation. This may sound like a really basic question, but where would we find the machine learning algorithms? Oh, yeah. So a lot of the platforms now have these capabilities. But also, if you look at some of the tools for like business intelligence, these are capabilities they now have built in and they have existing models for, you know, and again, you can get as simple or as sophisticated as you want. Like there's some of these tools that you don't need anyone else to help you with. You can kind of just point it at the core data and, you know, let it do its segmentation. There's others where you might want to be like, okay, maybe I want someone on the IT or the data side to do a little bit of fine tuning, you know, with me, you know, like anything, you can have a simple version of this, or you can get incrementally more and more sophisticated. But yeah, there's a ton of tools across this. This is how all these like personalization platforms work. Like if you, you know, look at a bunch of them, you'll like, see, I mean, the first step in personalization, you know, is like understanding the segmentation of who you want to map different characteristics of content or offers to. That is awesome. So if I wanted to get started, it's more important, again, to know what question I'm asking and to start with the platforms. And if there's something available for me to sort of test on my own, And then after that, it'd be like, okay, maybe I don't have the right data, or maybe I didn't ask the right questions and then get help from there. Yeah. And I mean, again, like, you know, when you're talking about customer segmentation, this usually tends to be a pretty core strategic decision, you know, for a marketer, you know, and so... I think it's okay to experiment with some things on the side, but, you know, yeah, once you make a decision of like, okay, I actually want to adopt the technology that's going to help me get the segmentation right, then yeah, that's when you do like a full review, you know, you'll very often then like, yeah, bring in someone from IT to, you know, help sanity check it as well too. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think sometimes I feel like it's hard to make the case, especially when not all your data is in one place. And it might be in different places. You have to start that sort of getting buy-in journey really early. (laughs) Yeah. I'm really glad you brought that up because that is essentially the Achilles heel of like so many of these AI superpowers is at the end of the day, these are algorithms that are operating on data. And, you know, it's like the garbage in, garbage out. Like if you feed it the right data and you feed it the complete data, these algorithms can work absolute miracles, you know. But yeah, if you're feeding it in poor quality data or partial data or you're missing key data sets, I mean, the algorithm doesn't know that, you know. So it like works with what you give it. And yeah, that is usually the single biggest, you know, factor in like the success or failure of leveraging these machine learning technologies is like, 
are you giving them the right data? Yeah. So another piece of getting that internal buy-in and the coordination is around security, compliance, and regulatory. And this comes up a lot, especially with a lot of our larger clients. What does that process look like? And what have the platforms and networks done and even the apps inside of them to address these frequently asked questions around security and compliance? Yeah, they're great questions. You know, so compliance is actually pretty straightforward at this point in time. Like, you know, I mean, we understand the rules. You know, I mean, if you're, say, GDPR compliant, odds are you're also CCPA compliant. And I mean, there's just, you know, some good clean living about like, we need to make sure we have permission, you know, from contacts we bring in. We need to make sure that if that contact ever decides they don't want to hear from us, we can like properly scrub them, you know, throughout our systems. And so a lot of the platforms and apps have simply implemented these capabilities because they need to, right? Their customers need it. They can't sell it without it. Security is a little bit of a trickier issue, though, because security is very often not just a black and white thing. Like compliance is almost black and white. It either is GDPR compliant or it's not. Security is a little bit more of a continuum of you can get more and more secure to ultimately the most secure thing would be pull all the plugs and disconnect everything from the Internet and nobody's breaking into this. Well, at least unless if they physically come and take, you know, but obviously that's not practical. And so this is one of the things where I think like, you know, IT teams that do this as part of their like official, you know, vendor review process of like going through vendors and saying, okay, well, no security is perfect, but here's a set of criteria we can look at to say like, okay, are they doing these best practices? Is, you know, all of these connections, are we making sure they're encrypted? Where is the data stored? Is the data encrypted when it's, you know, there's just some, you know, really good things that again, a professional IT person, they don't have to be involved in the entire, like, you know, vendor evaluation process. Cause there's a lot of these things that are marketing use cases that they won't care about, but to be able to bring them in and like, okay, take a really skeptical view of like, is this app secure? What are the questions we need to ask to make sure that it's secure and reliable? And so it's a big part of it. Are there any tests that are common that people can run or have request the app company to run to sort of prove how secure they are? Yes, there's a whole cottage industry of tools, uh, you know, for doing that. My opinion is they're useful, but to be honest, like a lot of the vulnerabilities that these tools look for are kind of the well-known vulnerabilities. It's, It's good to check them. It's good to make sure they have that. But, you know, where security risks come in, so I'm not a cybersecurity expert, so don't hold me to any of this, but like, I'm pretty sure I've read that the majority of real security breaches actually happen because of somebody inside the company who is either able to intentionally or accidentally do something that causes a bunch of data to then be, you know, released out into the world. This becomes a very different kind of issue. And, you know, in that case, it's not like you can't really run a penetration test, you know, Mm -hmm. to see like, okay, well, is this app secure? You have to start to get into this mode of like, okay, who has access to the app? You know, what sort of permissions do they have with that app? Is there an audit trail of like, you know, the activity that is done, you know, with these things? And so, again, I'm I'm not a cybersecurity person, but a cybersecurity person, they've got a pretty like clear list of things like, okay, let's go through and check this you know, what are the risks? What are the risks that are inherent to the software? 
And what are the risks that are more associated with the management and the operation of this and make sure that we put in good policies and principles for how people are using it? Yeah, I really like that. It comes back to you need to know what problem you're trying to solve and then where is it connected to? Who's connected to it? Who's accessing it? And how much of that is necessary so you can kind of control that risk and have a really good conversation with your IT team when you're ready. Sometimes I feel like we don't have that information prepared. They're just going to say no. (laughs) You know, which again, like everyone has a role to play. And I think the, you know, the security professionals in IT, you know, they've got a tough job. It's like one of those things like whenever there is a security problem, it's going to be their neck on the line. And so, you know, there's this tendency to want to be like as restrictive as possible to prevent that. But at the same time, we recognize like, okay, well, to get totally restrictive is, again, the scenario where you pull everything out from the wall and, you know, we won't do business with anyone because, oh, my God, something could go wrong. You know, and so it's this balance and this trade off. And I think what usually we see is the best outcomes are when, you know, IT and security and the marketing teams are collaborating together and they're just really trying to understand, okay, what are the business needs? You know, what are the security concerns and how do we find the right balance between those? You know, there there is a rational middle ground. Yes. And that's a good place for a break. We'll be back in a minute. What's one of the biggest challenges that marketers face? It's that the sales team doesn't understand the value of digital marketing. To help prove your worth, simply boost the volume of ready-to-buy customers and help your sales teams win more customers faster. To get started, download the guide, Five Data Exchanges Between Sales and Marketing to Increase Win Rates. Download the guide at tenlo.com. That's T-E-N-L-O dot com. And now back to our show. So one of the, I'm going to switch topics to another trend that gets covered in the MarTech conference, which is sales marketing alignment. And this Mm -hmm. is a really big sort of hot button trend for a lot of the industries we serve. Sales marketing alignment is incredibly important for generating leads, important for growth. It's important for retaining great salespeople and helping them feel supported. Where does this platform and the networks, or do you have any favorite applications or processes that have really helped elevate or bring sales market alignment to life? Because sometimes I feel like it's been getting a lot of lip service and we say we have it, but it is a lot of work and it is tedious. So it falls right in that bucket. Yeah, it's interesting. The old challenge used to be alignment between marketing and IT. And I think we're much better at that now. Yeah, the new challenge is the alignment between marketing and sales. You know, so one of the things that can help is leveraging a platform that is shared between marketing and sales, you know, and there's now a fair number that operate this way. So again, I'm thinking of HubSpot, but I'm also Salesforce, right? You know, it's this thing of like, okay, I have a set of marketing tools that my marketing team uses. I have a set of sales tools that my sales team uses, but the underlying platform is the same. And so you're getting alignment around the system of record, the source of truth for like the customer, the information we have, what have they done, what campaigns have they participated in, you know, what stage are they at in the buying process? And so even just getting that data aligned is a really good first step 
you know, and then on top of that becomes then where you're like, okay, now let's start to decide the organizational layer, the process layer of when do we turn over things? What criteria do they have, you know, to become like from a marketing qualified lead to a sales qualified lead? What are the responsibilities of marketing to support sales? And so this might be, you know, work for like sales enablement support, you know, it might be things for like providing sequences and, you know, support for like sales ops teams, you know, to be able to do their work. I would say the only silver bullet from a technology perspective is getting to a shared platform across both teams. But the process work that you layer on top of that, that's still one of the things that like, yeah, it's a human organizational challenge, much more than a technical challenge. Yes. We still have to have these conversations with salespeople and kind of find out what data can we use to improve the quality of leads and what information matters to them and what should be coming back to them and then search in the platform for that solution. Have you seen any, you know, the number one question we get all the time, especially from sales teams is they want more and higher quality leads. <laughs> you know? surprise. Right. They're just like, you know, all marketing does is generate, you know, crap leads. I don't want to call any of these people. What is happening? Have you seen any good examples of marketers who have gotten that right, who have found either a suite of tools or an application that has helped them improve that quality or helped improve targeting? Yeah, I think there's two ways to attack that. So one is the actual quality of the lead itself. So the work I did before HubSpot and Ion Interactive was all about creating these interactive apps that were built by marketers largely to solicit more detailed insights from prospects about what are their real pain points, you know, what's the way they're framing their challenges so that you could provide a richer profile to the sales team so that once it becomes a sales own lead, the salespeople have something really meaningful to go on. And so I think that's one way to solve it. The other way is just to defend the marketing profession. Sometimes it's not the fault of the marketing team that the leads aren't qualified. Sometimes it's the way the sales team is reaching out to those leads isn't working. Right. You know, the truth is like cold calling, I mean, like all these techniques that we've kind of like driven into the ground over the years, that their efficacy is limited. And I think one of the things you see with really successful companies now is they're getting very clever about how salespeople engage with prospects once they become a qualified lead. Like it might not actually be calling them on their phone like, you know, 20 times. It might not be sending them hippo videos or things like this. It might be like, oh, listen, here's actually this new research that just came out. I thought you would be interested in this. I forwarded this to you. You know, it's like start to build some trust and some relationship and almost leave it open enough that, you know, the customer actually, you know, says, yes, actually, oh, wow, I'm really glad you sent me that. I am interested in this. Can I call you? I mean, there's a ton of these things that we can do. I mean, if you start with the assumption that ultimately the customer is looking for a solution, then there's really creative ways that we can get their attention and engage them and make that journey enjoyable for them. You have to work at this. And and because it is a combination of marketing and sales, that has to be done in a collaboration. But yeah, I mean, like, wow, the innovation that's happening in the sales enablement space at this point, I think is such a great example of how marketing and sales have a lot of opportunity to work together to really change the efficacy of that funnel. I think you asked a really big question that I've never heard 
put this way, but starting with make the journey for the customer enjoyable. I'm not sure if we take a step back and ask that question enough and say, are we doing something that brings someone joy? We always say, well, I think they'll be interested in this. I think it'll bring them value. But could we get a higher level of engagement if the experience was actually enjoyable? Yeah. I mean, this is hard stuff, but this is the advantage. It's hard because it's not obvious how to do that. But as a result, when you come up with these ideas and you execute them, you stand out because your competitors haven't thought of it either. They haven't like figured it out. I mean, for most companies, right, the average is still in that mode of like, yep, give me a list of names and numbers and I'll just, you know, speed dial them one after another till some poor sap finally picks up. There's a lot of companies doing that and the efficacy of those, you know, techniques just continues to drop. So yeah, if you're willing to be creative, it's arguably a phenomenal time because the creativity really can make a pretty big delta in the performance and, you know, that you have relative to your peers. So what you're saying is there is no silver bullet that we can pick an application and just start generating tens of thousands of super high quality leads with little effort and little input from the sales team. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's sort of like those stock pickers, like, you know, okay, if I buy this software that will do the stock picking for me and I'll be a multimillionaire, you're like, Okay, well, yeah, well, if you're going to buy that, why isn't everybody else going to buy that too? And then we're right back where we started. So yeah, there's no silver bullet. I think one of the positives, though, that we covered earlier in the conversation is there are tools to take away the kind of mental strain that tedious activities take up and that can help us sort of accomplish our wishes in a shorter window of time so that we're able to give the love and passion and energy to these more creative endeavors, which is exciting. Yeah. And I think, you know, those tools that then help with some of these new creative capabilities, the barriers to using them are low enough that you can experiment with them. Yeah. This is how you find those like novel ways of capturing the attention of your prospects. That's awesome. Thank you so much for being a guest on our show. This conversation has been wildly interesting and insightful. Before we go, do you have any other tips or pointers or trends that you think people should be looking out for, especially heading into 2021, where if one thing is certain, it's that uncertainty will abound? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, with that setup, it's hard to make uh, any, any predictions on top of that. But yeah, I guess I would just say I talk to a lot of marketers and... One theme that is common with almost everyone I talk to is we're all overwhelmed. I mean, there's just so much happening, you know, in the world. And while a lot of these things are exciting innovations and they're new superpowers, it's still, it's a lot of new stuff. And it is work to stay on top of this and to learn it. And no matter how much you learn, there's always like infinitely more out there. And I think a lot of marketers feel stressed, like they feel they are personally falling behind. And I guess I just want to like assure anyone who's listening to this that it's not you. I mean, every single person, you know, in this, like we all have that sensation. And at some level, you just have to be like, hey, this is the new normal. There's more happening out there in heaven and earth than dreamt of in our philosophy. So, you know, let's... <laughs> take a deep breath and sort of what you just want to do is like day by day, be able like, okay, well, what new thing can I learn today? You know, what new thing can we do to try and move this forward and to try and have 
fun with it because it's overwhelming on this side, but it's kind of cool on this side too. So yeah, <laughs> making wishes come true should certainly be fun. So Scott, where can people find you at chiefmartech.com? They should follow the blog anywhere else where people can follow you to stay up on the trends. Sure. So it's Chief Martech without the H at the end. So chiefmartechtec.com. And then also that at Chief Martech without the H is my handle on Twitter. So always happy to you know chat with folks there. Awesome. Well, thank you again for being a guest on our show. We look forward to seeing what the next 10 years brings. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to our two-part series with Scott Brinker. These are some really big trends. And the good thing is we already have the building blocks in place to make the most of them starting in 2021. So if you have a CRM and a CMS, then you are already connected to platforms and networks. So what's the next step? How can we start to generate leads? First, think about the people that you're targeting. Do your platforms and networks bring you closer to the people that you want to sell to? Are there applications that your target audience is using to already take care of mundane tasks and free themselves up? Is there an intersection where you can make the most of that application? What is the connection of that application to your network or platform? Do you bring value? Or as we talked about in the conversation, where can you bring joy to your customers and the value you add to the platforms and networks? Start with your platform, take a look at your CRM. Do you have the right data in there? Are you treating it as a single source of truth? Then look at its network of applications. Where can you start using applications that have machine learning and AI already built into them to learn more about the segments and your target audience? Who really is your best customer? And then what kinds of applications are at the intersection of their business and the joy and the value you bring? If you have any questions, reach out to us at tenlo.com. You can click on podcasts to listen to our other episodes or subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Thanks for listening to Leader Generation. This has been Tessa Berg. You've been listening to another episode of Leader Generation by Tenlo Radio. Be sure to subscribe on tenloradio.com.